Praise God that we can see you all in church. There are some whom I have not seen for quite some time. I thank the Lord that we are able to do this, to see each other in church this morning. Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for this time that we can gather here together as your people. I pray, Lord, that you will use my mouth to speak your words. I pray, Lord, for no distraction from our worries among us, from the fears and the noise of the world. And let the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. The title for this morning's sermon is Finishing Well. Now, I'm showing you a picture, a photo. This is a marathon runner from Tanzania. At the 1968 Mexico Summer Olympics. His name is John Stephen Aquario. Now, why is so special to mention him this morning? The marathon race is a 42-kilometer race. At the 19-kilometer, while they were jockeying for position between some runners, he was hit. He wounded his knee and dislocated his joint, the knee joint. And his shoulder hit hard against the pavement. However, he continued running, finishing last among the 57 competitors who completed the race. In fact, it started with 75. Only 57 completed. And he was the last one to be in the stadium. The prize, the medal uh, giving ceremony was already over. One hour after that, it was already dark. There were only very few people or spectators left in the stadium. So when he was asked in an interview, why do you still continue when you have no chance of winning this marathon race? And he said this, my country did not send me 5,000 miles to start the race. My country sent me 5,000 miles to finish the race. Friends, this is something for us to learn from this Tanzanian marathon runner. Are we able to start the race? And are we able to finish the race? Many people started well, but they finished badly. In the study that was done by Dr. John, uh, Dr. Robert Clinton, he was a professor of leadership at Fuller Theological Seminary. He spent 15 years conducting research of 1,000 leaders, and the results are shocking. Only 30% of the leaders in the Bible finish well. In other words, 70% fell short of God's plan for their life. 
So we have people in the Bible who started well, but they did not finish well. So we have examples of the following people. Gideon. Gideon, like Moses, was a reluctant leader when called upon God to serve him. He even asked for three signs from God. A man of so little faith. But God used him to defeat the Midianites with only 300 Israelites. Towards the end of his life, he made an effort and he made it like an idol for the Israelites to worship. And the Israelites then turned to idolatry. Saul, tall, handsome man, filled with the Holy Spirit, but towards the end, he became disobedient, arrogant. And then we have Solomon. When he was young, as a king, he asked, when God asked him, what do you want from me? And he said, I need wisdom. And God was so pleased with him. And God gave him riches, wealth. But towards the end, what happened? He had 700 wives, 300 concubines, and he was drunk with riches and power. It's such a sad thing. When you hear this story of these people who started well, but did not finish well. But then, there are people who finish well in the Bible. One of the, one of the most important persons was Jesus Christ. We have Joshua, we have Paul, who can say what? I finished the race. I fought the good fight. We have Billy Graham. Billy Graham died at the age of 99. Before he died, he wrote a book called Nearing Home. Now, Billy Graham had two other contemporaries with him. These were the three well-known evangelists. But Billy Graham stayed strong and finished well. The other two, all of them, when they started their ministry, they were in their mid-twenties. Who are the other two who did, not stay, who did not finish well? Chuck Templeton, who served with him in the Youth for Christ. Bron Clifford, both of them fell from grace. Chuck Templeton, in fact, even denounced Christianity. Bron Clifford left the ministry and became a car used man. Used car uh, salesmen. So, friends, there is no one other than Jesus Christ who can declare that he has done well. Christ on the cross said in Greek, Titilestai, means it is finished. So, I'm glad that our worship enabler sang, It is finished this morning, as a reminder, Christ has finished on the cross. So Gideon and the, and the, the, the others like Saul and Solomon reminds us how it is easy to stumble and to fall from grace. 
and there are few who finish well. Christians all begin well, but then do all Christians end well? This is something for us to ponder. But this morning, we are going to focus on this person, Samuel. You know, when my pastor, I think uh, Tony Bear, Mrs. Tony Bear will know, Reverend Tan Chi Kyung, before I got baptized, he asked me, what Christian name would you like to have? I went home and I told my mother about this. And my mother said, my late mother said, Samuel. I have this in my baptism cert, Samuel Kuchokau. But I don't call myself Samuel. I fell short of Samuel. So today's sermon, we are going to look at Samuel, the prophet who finished well. Started well and finished well, finished strong. And so we have three parts. Give your best like Samuel. Secondly, pray like Samuel. Third, consider the great things God has done like Samuel. In my workshops and seminars, which I conduct on the principles of persuasion, I always reminded my participants about this book written by Adam Grant, who is the youngest professor at the age of 28 at Wharton School. University of Pennsylvania. And he wrote a book, Give and Take. And he tells us in this book that in this world there are two types of people. One type are the givers, the other type are the takers. And when he talks about the takers, he says people who are givers, who are givers, they what? They are not self-focused, they are people-focused. Takers are more of self-focused. And that's why we look at here, the first part, give your best. And let's look, before we look at uh, uh, this uh, subtopic, I just want to let you know the difference between a judge and uh, a king. Now, this passage that was read is actually the Samuel's Last farewell. He was the last judge because Israel has already got a king. He was the last judge of Israel. Now, a judge is a leader raised by God to meet a specific need in times of crisis. So, when the crisis is over, the judge will go back to what he had done before. But, a king is different. A king will hold office until he dies. And then when he dies, his descendants will take over. So that's the difference between a judge and a king. And most kings are takers. They are not givers. Samuel has two sons who will take us, actually. Now, Samuel also warned, gave the warning from God about having a king, 
And this passage was read by Reverend Ronald about two, two Sundays ago. In 1 Samuel chapter 8, verses 10 to 18, where a king always liked to take. For example, in Samuel, in uh, Samuel chapter 8, verse uh, 11, it says, He will take your sons and make them serve his chariots and horses, and they will run in front of his chariots. And then in verse 13, He will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. Verse 14, He will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive groves and give them to his attendants. Verse 15, He will take a tenth of your grain and of your vintage. And then in verse 16, we go further down. He will take your cattle and your donkeys for his own use. And verse 17, he will take a tenth of your flocks and you yourselves will become his slaves. There was a warning from God to Samuel about kings who are takers, not givers. Not Samuel, what's so special about him? Samuel gave his life for the Lord. In 1 Samuel chapter 12, verse 2, it reads here, Now you have a king as your leader. As for me, I'm old and grey, and my sons are here with you. I have been your leader from my youth until this day. In other words, Samuel had been serving God since young. And you remember, he was given to God by his mother, Hannah. And so Samuel gave himself to God. Not only that, Samuel has given and did not take from the Israelites. And that's why we read in the chapter 12, verse 3, of 1 Samuel, he asked, Here I stand, testify against me in the presence of the Lord and his anointed. Whose ox have I taken? Whose donkey have I taken? Whom have I cheated? Whom have I oppressed? From whose hand have I accepted a bribe to make me shut my eyes? If I have done any of this, I will make it right. And the people declared, You have not cheated or oppressed us. They replied, You have not taken anything from anyone's hand. There you are. Samuel gave. He did not take as a leader. I always like this hymn. This hymn is, is not found in the Methodist hymnal. It is found in the old Methodist hymnal, the black color book hymnal. And now you can find it in the Broadman hymn, hymnal. This hymn by Francis Habergal, which, which, uh, which the lyric says, I give my life for thee, my precious blood I shed, that thou mightst ransom me and raise up from the dead. I gave, I gave my life for thee, what have I given for me? I gave, I gave my life for thee. What hast thou given for me? This is Jesus asking us. 
Jesus gave his life for us. What have we given to him? Another hymn that I like concerning giving is give of your best to the master. It's not in our Methodist hymnal. But Howard Benjamin Gross, give of your best to the master, give of the strength of your youth. Take note of that. Throw your soul's fresh glowing ardor into the battle for truth. And then it goes, Jesus has set the example. Dauntless was he, young and brave. Give him your loyal devotion. Give him the best that you have. Wonderful, isn't it? To give the best that we have to Christ. The takeaway for us this morning is that God is the greatest giver. Your family with John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave. The word gave. God gave first, not second. Jesus gave his life for us. And as we approach the land season, let us then have a personal reflection. During the Lent season, I always like to watch the Passion of Christ because that gives me a visual picture of the suffering of Christ. Friends, the Israelites were takers most of the time. They were takers. You look at Malachi chapter 1, verse 8. When you bring blind animals for sacrifice, is that not wrong? When you sacrifice crippled or deceased animals, is that not wrong? Try offering them to your governor. Will he be pleased with you? Would he accept you, says the Lord Almighty? The Israelites were giving crippled animals for sacrifice. You know, they are suffering from what we call our modern term, SARS. Not severe accurate, uh, acute respiratory syndrome. They were suffering from severe acute religious syndrome, SARS. They play church with God. The question we have to examine ourselves is, do we suffer also, like the Israelites, from SARS? Do we play church with God? Are we going through the motions of church attending and praising God during church services, but not living in vibrant fashion according to the principles and expectations of God. When I was a Boy Scout in the primary school, we all have to say this Scout promise. On my honour, I promise to do my best, to do my duty to God and the King, to help other people and to keep the Scout law. And this has always been the principle that I hold dearly. If I were to do things, I do it my best or not at all. Not at all. So friends, let's have a reflection. And, and at this time when we do a reflection, remember Proverbs 4.23, which says, Guard your hearts from out of it flows the issues of life. So let's look at 
the first reflection question. Are you giving God the best? Are you striving to give Him the first? And does your giving cost you something? And for the children, wherever you are and in whatever you do, how do you give your best to God? Let's spend two minutes to reflect on this. We come to the second part of this morning sharing. Pray like Samuel. The first thing we need to note is that Samuel was born of a praying mother. If you can remember, Hannah prayed to the Lord with all her heart. Her prayer was so fervent because she had no child. And Samuel then was born. God answered Hannah's prayer. Note that Samuel was in the surrounding of a praying mother. And so he developed into a man of prayer. Because what? He was in the surrounding where prayer has been made. He was in the house of prayer. He was in the temple with Eli. So much so that God's heart was duplicated in Samuel. 
We know many times it has been preached and told to us, David was known as a man after God's heart. But God's heart was duplicated in Samuel. And so that's why when Samuel prayed, God listened to him. The second point is that Samuel considered it a sin not to pray for God's people. If you look at 1 Samuel chapter 12, verse 23, it says, As for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by failing to pray for you, and I will teach you the way that is good and right. Just imagine that. Samuel said it is a sin not to pray for God's people. So how about us? I always like this song also that people like to sing. Because you talk about prayer, what we are today, we are still in our worshipping God and we are holding on to, to the Lord is because Someone is praying for you. It is always very comforting when somebody said to us, I'm praying for you. Someone is praying for you today. Someone is praying for you. So when it seems when you are alone, all alone and your heart will break in two, remember, someone is praying for you. But look at the way Samuel prayed. He prayed for thunder and rain to get the people's attention. Because why? To show them that they have disobeyed God. They have displeased God by asking for a king. You know, talking about thunder and rain. Sometimes, we get very shocked and frightened by thunder and rain. I don't know whether you have been frightened by thunder and rain. When you were young, yes. But when you, you, when you are older, were you frightened? I was frightened by thunder and rain. About five years ago, the place where I stayed, there was really a freak storm. The tiles were flying from the road and they landed on the balcony. I had to collect four pack plastic bags of tiles from other neighbors' houses. The, the gut house fell flat. Can you imagine that? The trees all bent so much so that some of them even were uprooted and fell down. Well, it scared me also. The disciples also had faced, had faced storm, thunder. So he prayed for thunder and rain. And the Lord answered his prayer. God sent the thunder and the rain, and the people get scared. And when the people get scared, you know what they do? They say, Samuel, please pray for us. And Samuel again prayed. And the storm and the, and the rain disappeared. The takeaway, friends, Praying Samuel's come from praying Hannah's. I'd like to stress this. 
Mothers, be like Hannah in your home. But that doesn't mean the fathers do nothing. We also need to be praying Hannahs, both fathers and mothers. When a child, what a child learns is more, what they get is, uh, they are, is more caught than taught. When our children see we pray, they will pray. My grandson was having her meal, his meal and the maid forgot to say a prayer. And so you know what he told the maid? And the maid, oh sorry, I didn't pray. And I always insist that he prays before his meals. So if we don't have the surrounding or the atmosphere of prayer, how can we expect our children to pray? We're talking about we need people to pray and so on. Yes, but prayer starts from the home. We need more Hannahs. We need more Samuels to pray. We can be praying Samuels. So friends, let's look at the reflection and the discussion. How can you provide an environment for your children to learn to pray from young? And for the children, how can you find opportunities to pray for someone in the home or outside the home?
Let's now consider the third and final part of today's meditation. Consider great things all right, the Lord has done for us. In 1 Samuel chapter 12, verse 24, it reads, But be sure to fear the Lord and serve Him faithfully. With all your heart, consider what great things He has done for you. Yet if you persist in doing evil, both you and your king will perish. The first part of this verse, 24, is telling us to fear and the Lord and serve Him faithfully with all your heart. All your heart. And then it goes on to consider what great things God has done for you. So, what are the great things to consider so far in our lives? But before that, if we look at 1 Samuel chapter 12, verse 6 to 11, Samuel gave them a short history of what the Lord has done for them. Of that, you can go back and read for yourself. Look at what the Lord has done for them. Samuel was reminding them what the good Lord has done for them. How the Lord delivered them from Egypt and so on and so on, from other battles. But the Israelites were not committed to serve God. That is a tragedy. What other things do we consider? The Bible has quite a number of verses to talk about. Consider what? Consider the, the lilies, consider the ravens, Consider, consider even the end. The end. Only yesterday, my wife said, Oh, you know, Proverbs 6, verse 6, huh? you always tell me, you know, I didn't realize, you know, about the end, you know. Oh, sluggard, rise up from your sleep. Learn from the end. He says, Now I know, huh? oh, yeah, this verse, you were, you were talking to me and teasing me all the time. Uh, when she, she doesn't want to get up so early. So I told her, O sluggard, when will you rise from your sleep? What are the great things God has done in your lives? I want you to consider. There's one thing that I consider, one of the things, many things that God has done for me in my life was in the year 1979. When I was serving in Kelantan, I was staying in a very ulu place. It's called Kampung Dusun Muda. My, my nephew, Choksin's uh, son, elder son, always referred me to as the ulu uncle. I stayed there, I had to drink water from the well. Draw water from the well. In 1979, towards the part, the late part, part my, the house that I rented was burnt down. My first year of marriage, you know, I got married in 1978, and then uh, my wife already followed me to Kelantan. No? Everything gone, except my car and what I'm wearing. All gone. 
But if we consider what great things have done, God is so gracious. I was serving in the Kelantan Presbyterian Church. And I can see how loving they were. They helped me. And the Lord led me to, to a place to stay where there were many teachers. And that place where many of the young people were staying around. And they came to my house every Thursday evening for Bible study. At that time, my wife was with child. And that was Daniel. When the fire broke out, he was, she was bathing. And I used to tease her most of the time. I said, fire, fire, come out from your bathroom. He says, don't joke, don't play around. I say, now, see, the smoke is entering into the bathroom. And then only she rushed out. So we were scared that, you know, in her, in, in her, in her panic, Daniel will be born prematurely. But thank God, no, Daniel was born in 1980, a few months later. All right. <coughs> Consider the great things God has done for your life. This is my example. What about your examples? What are the great things God has done for you in your life? This is something for us to remember. The takeaway is, friends, count your blessings and be thankful. Honour the Lord and serve Him with all your heart. Let's look at the reflection questions. When was the last time you really paused and considered what great things God has done for you? And for the children, how do you fear and honour God in your school or at home?
Conclusion, my friends. No, God gave you His best. Start well by giving your best to God, not a half-hearted one in whatever you do to serve Him. Not only start well to give your best, even until your last breath, finish well by giving your best to serve the Lord. Secondly, be a person who prays like Samuel. Be like Hannah to raise up more Samuels in our home, in our church. And thirdly, do serve and fear the Lord and consider great things God has done in your lives and finish well. Finish well. Are you a master of starting but not finishing? Are you able to finish well? On a personal note, tomorrow I will be three score and ten. And I pray that you, like Samuel, will pray for me from now until the Lord call me home that I will give him my best to serve and honour him. In my closing prayer, I'd like you also to be like your personal prayer as you pray with me. Let us pray. Thank you, Father, for the great things you have done in my life and for your never-failing faithfulness. I want to honour you by giving my best in my service for you. Forgive me when I'm not giving my best to you. Father, I want to be among those in whom your heart is duplicated and who care only for God and for God's interest and profit. Make us a real Samuel in this age, one who is a duplication of your heart. Lord, purify my heart with all its motives, inclinations and interests so that I may seek only you, care only for you and desire only your interests uh, only your, your, your interest and profit, caring for nothing but the building up of the church as a temple of God on earth. And as the well-known hymn, Amazing Grace, goes, His grace has brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. Lord, give me the grace to finish well. Amen.